podcast, I'm here with Nathan Monk, who is the director of growth programming at Mars Discovery District. And for those who are not in Canada, Mars is a nonprofit organization that helps create successful businesses for Canada's science, tech, and social innovation. Nathan, thank you so much for joining and uh, really glad to have you here on the show. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me and hello, everybody. All right, we are here in this nice, cozy little studio at Mars, and we're going to do uh, behind the scenes after this podcast so everybody can get a sense where we are, because uh, I think it looks real fancy. <laughs> but to, t- to kick things off, you wrote a post about hiring full-stack marketers um, um, early on in a startup, and could you talk a little bit about the concept and what are some of the aspects that are important in this types of person, this type of person? Yeah, good question. So I wrote that a a little while ago, so things have changed a lot since I wrote the post. But the idea behind a full-stack marketer is really that this individual has um, three levels of knowledge. So at a foundational level of knowledge, a full-stack marketer should be able to dig into customer behavior, understand how that applies to UX and design, which helps with conversion of customers to product but also have a really good understanding of analytics, the, um, being able to apply KPIs and, and key, perform- like key performance metrics and A-B tests right. to more advanced, so predictive and descriptive analytics, being able to price, um, being able to model out um, distribution and acquisition uh, a channel, so cost per acquisition, mm-hmm. lifetime value, right down to being a channel expert. So being really strong in SEO or really strong yeah. in SEM, Facebook, direct response, you name it. So at that time when I wrote it, it was really what we would consider a full stack marketer. And I think that person really has evolved, mm-hmm. especially in the B2B enterprise tech space where they're now what we would call a T-shaped marketer, and this was right. popularized by Brian Balfour, who's part of Reforge and former VP of marketing at HubSpot. And his theory is, as we build and scale our B2B enterprise companies, we need an individual on board that is very strong in one or two areas. Uh, it could be really strong in direct response, a really great in marketing automation, mm-hmm. and then have the ability to learn. So continuously learn and build on those skills. So learn SEM and AdWords and learn content marketing and learn content experience and out of home and events and so forth. So um, that's where we're, I think, evolving to, at least out of all of the companies I see Mm -hmm. being successful at Mars Discovery District and kind of um, making an impact and changing the world. Uh, Those are the ones that are are making innovation matter through marketing. Right. So being being broad on certain level of skills, but going deep on one, right? And is there is there a certain area that the early founders are looking for, the marketer that can do, uh, that they go deeper than, than maybe mm-hmm. uh, yep. uh, other things? Yeah, good question. So for it depends on the company. It depends on the market type, whether it's B2B or B2C. And typically in uh, B2B enterprise tech or SaaS, um, the individual has to be what I call uh, uh, data-driven but creatively inspired. Okay. And so what that means is they should be really strong at A-B testing and campaign development, 
and content, like being able to actually write, tie it back to mm-hmm. the brand identity, tie it to the buyer journey, um, but also be able to measure it. So on the data side, being able again to look at those test results, those channel results, and right. be able to continuously iterate and experiment in order to hit the one or two channels that are really going to take the company to the next level and achieve targets. Um, so we're, you're looking for someone that is um, you know, data-driven, creatively inspired, and has a really strong mix of content build abilities uh, and analysis and measurement. Mm-hmm. Right, so both short-term, which is um, the ads and all of those uh, paid traffic plus the little bit of a long term which is copywriting and creating some content which will be more of a inbound type of thing yeah absolutely it, it is inbound demand gen and if the company doesn't have enough resources at that point they may be outsourcing a bit of the content development there's lots of tools mm. now that companies right. are using you don't need to go out and hire an agency you can go to upwork you can go independently through your startup community to find mm. content producers and publishers uh, and then on the tech tool side, there's so many great tools out there in our own backyard in Canada. A lot of folks are using uh, Vidyard is, love is, an, love is a tool. Uh, we're, we're using Clipfolio, an Ottawa-based company, to data dashboard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you name it. So there's, there's a lot happening, uh, not only on the marketing side, but also on the sales side for tech tools. We've got Nudge AI, a, you know, home, homegrown built startup here that's all about, you know, it's, I call it LinkedIn on acid if I'm allowed to say that. It's about taking your connections and network and really turn, turning that into a social channel feed for your, for your sales team. So super cool. And it's a great point because that my next question was exactly about, you know, there's this a lot of obsession with technology and uh, tools and marketing stacks stack, but there's this also fundamental concept that applies to to marketing that is a lot about influence and a lot about human response. And those things they really rarely change. They are very much ingrained. They are all based on the fundamental. Uh, needs that humans have, and although some some marketers miss that those fundamental things, and they jump straight into tactics, they jump straight mm, into yeah. uh, the the things uh, that will drive the reach and they will drive the impressions. I was curious from your perspective, where do you find the balance between the two, uh, and is it even, like where where's somebody who will be that first hire for the founder? Where do they? How do they start with human response, with fundamentals, or how do they balance the tactics and the, the fundamental truth about human influence? Yeah, so um, I look at that question more about you know the difference. I always I consider I consider it really a difference between strategy and execution, and the ability that you know the old saying the the space between strategy and execution is everything for your company and mm-hmm. it starts with a really good framework uh something that the new marketer can follow that is relevant to the business and can help them grow and we're using a framework called the flywheel okay um specifically with the flywheel what its purpose is it's meant to teach the marketer how to work across department um, so that they can identify friction points between products, sale, the classic sales and marketing gaps, yes, uh, and customer success in order to properly deliver 
on holistic growth goals for the company so that the marketer is not operating, or, or in this case, our full-stack marketer, T-shaped marketer, is not operating in a silo. Mm. And so you mentioned influence as being important, and you know I can't agree with that more. Um, we know that the trust index for sales and marketing is at an all-time low. Right. We know that channel costs are going up. Getting placement in Google or paying for ads in LinkedIn and Facebook is increasing as as more and more companies come online. It's the old saying, right? Exactly. Never been easier to start a company, but a heck of a lot harder to scale. So companies need to rely on a framework like a flywheel, which is the whole premise is to get your existing customers to become your next channel of growth. Create word of mouth, create influence with them, create community around them. And that can't happen uh, in a funnel type approach or a siloed type approach that is run by quarter. You have to build momentum in your flywheel, not just quarter to quarter, but year to year to year, and work across department as a full stack marketer. How does the flywheel solve the, the challenge where it was in this book, Crossing the Chasm, where they talked about the early adopters in this, you know, kind of gap with from early adopters to the majority of people who will be using that and that 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 difficultness of of getting to those people? How does that is that what's the view on around that with a flywheel methodology? Yeah, so it's a really good question. And it I think it comes down to those early adopters influencing that next group of customers. And oftentimes, products and onboarding and how we deliver the product changes from the early stages of a startup, which could be using probably a freemium type SaaS model. Mm -hmm. And most, if you know, if we think of Spotify, oh, and, yeah. and in most cases, Slack, great example of taking an early adopter community, building it, creating virality, word of mouth, and influence, and then flicking the switch based on that demand, and then turning that data into something much more valuable for a medium or large size enterprise, and finding their growth path through those two um, customer profiles. Right. Uh, so it is a staged process, for sure. The, the idea of crossing a chasm can be a bit misleading. It can lead, uh, it can lead founders and marketers to be so focused on upsell and next sell of the existing customer base that they forget that there's also a business model approach to growth right. and a product, a product approach to grow a product mm -hmm. qualified lead to growth. And, um, that's why it's really important to be working across department on the, on that growth. 100%. So there's a lot of you know, when when we come when we talk about innovation and building something new, what I've heard and I thought it kind of stuck with me is, you know, when you you don't reinvent, you innovate, right? And everybody wants to innovate, but uh, before that, uh, you know, it's important to kind of look at the patterns of how people use the product before, and the best way to build a new product is to introduce certain constraints and then innovate on the last ten percent. But what uh, we see, and I've seen it a lot of times, is that what founders like to create and come up with something totally new, and then nobody understands what it is. So. What's your like? What's your take on that? Like, how do you balance the fact that it's important to innovate on ten percent, yet still create something that a hundred times better, versus come up with something brand new and it's really too hard to sell? 
I think it comes down to the company's go to market their their growth strategy and oftentimes I see market expansion happen or product expansion happen when the company is trying to reach their next level of growth, whether it's reaching a series A, B, or C, or simply moving into a new geographic market. A lot of times the product and language and marketing activities have to change along with it to represent that customer base. Mm. So there's two sides of two like two answers to that. There's the business strategy, growth strategy that drives those types of decisions. And yes, you can have a founder, especially a tech, uh, a tech based founder or a science driven founder or right. science skilled uh, founder kind of have a married to that product. But it's really key for, again, for these companies to be applying a flywheel, a holistic approach to growth so they can mm -hmm. identify these opportunities earlier. Uh, in, in scale. So the other answer to that question is, especially in B2B enterprise SaaS, we're mm -hmm. seeing a lot of the customer interactions turning to self-serve. So self-serve oh, yeah. features, um, entire, like, and in, in if you look at what Brian Halligan said at inbound 2018, fall of 2018, mm -hmm. he said 80% of your customer interactions by 2021 uh, will be self-serve or will be getting right. there, right? So we have to think about that now in 2019. How mm -hmm. is that product evolving and what does that look like in terms of how we organize product and team around that? Um, but any, I think, good company is very quickly rationalizing founder-driven features mm. Uh, with the business needs, the growth needs, and and the growth approach of the company. Totally. Yeah, I mean, we all have all those move towards conversational marketing and, you know, like people want things now fast and chat. So yeah. um, I also read a, a lot of your articles on LinkedIn and, and the theme that uh, kind of I've seen was that there's a lot of focus, that's a lot of focus on metrics. Yet a lot of customer experiences are not quite can be captured. Like mm -hmm. the conversations, the email response, they're not really on that dashboard. They're, they're really, but they are still super important to, to have a real feedback, understand what's going on. How does the founder can balance the two and not kind of sway into one or, two, or, or the other direction too much? So are you just to clarify like losing the human relationship or focusing too much on yeah not going too far into the data and mm. still keeping an eye on just the conversation things that are not quite can be captured with the data not quite can be on mm. the on the dashboard yeah so there's a couple of ways companies can uh, ingrain that in their DNA I, I think it starts right when you have the idea on the back of a napkin and you're getting out of the building and trying to validate that idea mm -hmm. with customers. I think there's a, the qualitative feedback is, in my eyes, equally as important. And so um, you can capture that through your sales team. You can capture that through, you know, shadowing them, looking at your intercom or your drift chats and pulling that. You can get a lot of amazing product and price and positioning Absolutely. based language. And then what I love to do is just simply get the heck out of the building and That's talk the best. to people 
that are in your customer segment. So in today's world with LinkedIn and Nudge and the tools we have, it's not hard to take 10 minutes of somebody's time to ask them about a feature, a product, um, and try not to pitch your family and friends and everyone to tell you your baby's ugly. You want to be you want to be talking to folks that are going to give you honest and real hard feedback, feedback and ask like, hey, can you pay a dollar for this thing? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, it's tough, right? Or will they actually give you their credit card, right, and exactly. see if they actually you know submit that uh, submit that online? Exactly. But yeah, I know absolutely. So so you worked with a lot of startups, and I was curious, knowing that you know the product comes. As, as the first thing that a lot of founders spend their time on and the business model. But how many startups that you worked with, they, they look into brand awareness from the get-go? How, how many they look at, oh, we got we to gotta make sure that we are able to, to build our brand and invest in that part so when we are ready to sell, people know about us? Yeah, it's... I would say it's something that every founder is thinking about and may not be actively uh, building or testing. Mm -hmm. And in the tech tech world that we live in here in Toronto and the ventures that I've talked to, I think it comes down to a bit of like just the skill set at an early stage. Um, But as they grow, uh, they do realize the importance of that branding and brand messaging and building that identity. It's becoming even more and more important. And I think it's because we can quantify it a lot better than we did even two or three years ago. Uh, We can see pretty quickly through A-B testing if messaging is on, we can capture customer feedback and ways that I never would have imagined even mm-hmm. two years ago. And I, I think that all feeds back into this brand building engine. Um, but there's a lot of hesitance, and rightfully so, early on with founding teams, especially, mm-hmm. in spending too much in that until the product is actually validated. And so I always believe the product and the brand is pulled from the customer and not vice versa. And that's where I've seen a lot of mistakes happen where you know, they'll just come out with a brand and it has absolutely no, it doesn't resonate at all with with their end customer. So that is a red flag. It means Mm -hmm. that they haven't done enough discovery, enough customer development prior to building the brand. And incidentally, customer development never ends. It never gets easy. You're always doing that as a marketer, a good marketer. You're always interested in customer behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so it's, it's tough. It's a mixed result. I can't say, you know, 60-40 split. Of course, yeah. But it's um, it's super important to us. It's foundational knowledge. As a marketer, you should have mm-hmm. brand identity, brand building, foundational knowledge right. for sure. So how, you know, there's also this part where when you're a founder, you're starting your own business, there's this issue of, overthinking things and maybe just spending too much time on certain things and especially coding. And I think you pointed that out in one of your articles I've seen, the issue of overcoding. And it, it kind of felt to me that it was, oh, just like, you know, you're overthinking or you're building too many things for one customer or maybe you're building it without a customer feedback. What are some of the ways that that can be mitigated uh, before somebody invests too much time on the code that might not really go too far uh, with the future iteration of the product? Uh, testing. 
like ensuring that before a full build happens or a sprint, that it's validated through customer feedback, through discovery. Testing is absolutely critical in building out the next mm -hmm. version and the you know in in really rationalizing the resources that are going into that with the needs of your customers at each stage of your company's growth. Right. Um, you know, early on, you're trying to find product market fit. Later on, you're trying to find uh, product channel fit. And yeah. so channel requires the product to look and feel and talk differently to the mm -hmm. customer than it does early on. And so the very strong dev and business teams that I work with are the ones that can realize and adapt to, from from product market fit to product channel fit pretty quickly, mm -hmm. um, including pricing, including UX and design, including who they hire to support it. Like it's it's a full on full company issue. Yeah, um, and you're gonna get some things wrong. Some features, Always some things right. are right are just not gonna work out. Uh, you may hate this podcast because I'm speaking. <laughs> well, let's hope we may have a huge churn after this because I'm speaking. But <laughs> this is this is a six star only podcast. But yeah, really. So you know what I mean. Like it, it's yeah. it it really b depends on on the needs of the customer and and include ensuring that the product sprints and product um, build cycles are are right. very lean. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. And I mean, just doing anything that is not very, um, like, or rather completely unscalable and there is no, like, even product. I think um, you, like Chris, Clay Christensen's innovate, uh, Innovation Dilemma, and I think they have this jobs to be done methodology where they talk about case studies where uh, founders really do things in a completely unscalable way where instead of a robot, they have a human who would just be doing things that robot would do and before they build this robot just to validate, can this thing even exist with a potential customer mm -hmm. uh, before, they, before they even start thinking about how can we automate that? Yeah, and you, know, you, mentioned, like, you mentioned jobs to be done, and I think the mistake a lot of founders make is they think it's their jobs that need to be done, not the customers. It's right? easier. It's easier, and uh, yeah, sometimes we don't want to face what the customer actually really wants. I hate to say it, but uh, it, we start thinking about resources. We start thinking about, oh my God, how am I going to meet right. our targets? Is this really, mm -hmm. you know, is this really something our sales team can roll out? Is this something CS can onboard and upsell, and etc. So you know, you got to think about what the job the customer wants to do. Like, what is it that they want to solve first, and then build. You know, always be building back from that yeah no I, I totally totally agree now we live in the world of infinite supply where you know you're competing by serving a certain niche but you do it better than anybody else are there any like what are some of the questions that uh, founder needs to be asking themselves to get on this right path or to to start thinking about that right path to start thinking about that in the right way or maybe it's too too broad of a question you mean get, you know, start thinking about their go-to-market in the right way? Uh, or? Identifying the right niche for the product mm -hmm. or where, you know, when you go into, uh, for example, you go into marketing software, there's so much marketing software. How do you, or what type of questions would you ask yourself to, to find or just start thinking about the right niche for, for you, for your, mm -hmm. for, your, for your product? Yeah, I mean, it depends on how the product started. Sometimes founders can have an idea or they can, uh, they want to change the world or change and make a, a big social impact. Or they're, they've, 
uh, got a certain skill set in a certain area and build the product from, from those three or four key areas. doesn't always have to be solving a problem. But eventually, um, they're going to have to be talking with different customer segment groups and pulling that information from them and figuring out, okay, what, what is it that is causing them pain? Mm. How would this product actually solve that pain? And so you're looking for customer segments that um, um, have, are big enough from a market size potential, have a big enough pain Right. that you can sell to through your existing sales channels. I mean, a lot of companies make the mistake of going into a new market or selling into a new segment with the wrong sales tools and, and people. And so it's, it's size of market, pain, access through your sales channels. Competitors, are you going up against right. a Facebook or a, you know, these are the old, you know, yeah. the, old, the old competitors we used to say, right? A, a Google or an Amazon mm -hmm. or, mm -hmm. you know, or today it would be up against Slack or Spotify or, you know, uh, Optimizely or something, yes. right? So it's, it's about, you know, you know, is there space in there? And then can you spill over into another market? To your point earlier, can you actually, mm -hmm. you know, determine another geographic market or another product market that you could jump into that it spills into example is Amazon started with selling books now they are selling Amazon web services and electronics and delivering food and talking at you through their speakers I've heard uh, just recently I think two days ago that the first drone delivery happened I think it was in Australia and I was like yes so we are we are getting there we're getting there yeah, I thought I had a drone deliver the other day, but it was just a little bit too much beer. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know what was dropped off. But anyway, but it's, you can it's, cut that out of the podcast. No, 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 it's fine. It's this is <laughs> this is the conversation. This is the conversational show. But what are your thoughts on the competition? Because what I've heard and uh, it, it made made a lot of sense. Where you know, there's founders they they like to go into a market where there's no competition, and they say, "Oh, there's no competition. That's great." But it also means, and a lot of times uh, is means that well, there's no competition because there's no problem, and, and or there's no market. Versus when you go into a market where there's a lot of competitors, sure, there's a lot of competitors, but there is a big problem to be solved, and there's there's a market. What what are your thoughts on on that? I'm always leery of anyone that says that there's no competitors. Um, I'm not a proponent of blue ocean theory. Yeah. Um, because I think whatever we build can, you know, we can take for granted if we have that sort of thinking. I mean, here's what I mean. I mean, you know, just being grateful that we have the chairs that we're sitting on here and the laptops in front of us and you know, this glass of water. It's the same with a business. We have to be grateful that, you know, we've built something hopefully somebody wants and we're solving a big pain point for. And so I think if we start thinking that there's no competitors, we take for granted what we have built or what we're about to build as mm -hmm. a team. And it, it can, it's a bit, there's it, a bit of ego, I think, in that sort of thinking in that, uh, it lends itself, it can lend itself to I've got the greatest thing since sliced bread and everybody's going to buy it and, you know, I'm going to exit in a year and, and life's going to be great. And I think it just, I'm so cautious with that sort of thinking. I think right. it can lend itself to problems down the road. We build it, they will come. Yeah, right, exactly. The field <laughs> of dreams, right? Yeah. And I'm not saying that, you know, obviously companies have been very successful 
but relatively quickly in those types of situations where it's not that there's no competitors, it's about time. It's about right. how fast 100%. can I get this yeah. product penetrated in the market, up and rolling, and spilled over into a new market, or you know, enough traction to move to the mm. next round, or, or, or potentially successfully face an exit. Nathan, you like business books. You read a lot of books that I enjoy as well. Uh, we mentioned a few here in a podcast, Clay Christensen, Crossing the Chasm. What are some of the books that you came across recently or before that you keep coming back to that just take your breath away that you think everybody who is a founder or who anybody who's thinking of starting their own business should read? Uh, anything that came across you? Yeah, the ones that, well, there's, there's, there's non-business books as well that I've found extremely helpful. Yeah, but, let's, let's, let's look into those. Um, gosh, over my career, the ones that really stand out, that I, like, are just coming to me kind of top of mind, mm-hmm. definitely Good to Great was, a, was one, of, one of the top ones. The Startup Owner's Manual by Steve Plank. Right. Although it's not a book, he would say it's not a book, it's a manual, and that's very true. We like but, manuals. Uh, it is, like, if you don't have that on your, in your, you know, if you're a founder in a tech startup and you don't have that uh, in your bookcase, it's, there's FOMO going on, right? Well, we will link all that. We will link it to that <laughs> in the show notes below. Yeah. So whoever's the founder and listening, we, you can yeah. grab it. And then on, I think on the, on the, um, personal side, on the interpersonal side and behavioral side as a founder, Look at books like Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. What a fantastic read that is. I've read it, but I'll check it out. Um, Look at The Founder's Dilemmas by Noam Wasserman, Mm. a former Harvard prof who looked at the reasons why companies fail over eight to ten years, and his research is just incredible, and the Mm. stories are amazing. Um, One other one's Grit by Angela Duckworth. I read that one. It was very good. I thought it was so well, you know, she articulated the the actual (laughs) grit and like how she compared people, the talented people and the people who are not talented on paper, who but yet achieve so many results, so much results. Yeah. I thought it was really good as scientific and and you're like, well, it's kind of cool. There is a process. You don't have to be talented when when you're born. Yeah, absolutely. It's work. And, yep, you know, I think there is a bit, it lends itself to luck as well. Yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's good. And then I think because we're in such a high paced, you know, if uh, society or whatever you want to call it, um, I mean, a lot of you right now, if I were to look at your Google Calendar, it probably looks like a, a nightmare, like a checker, checkerboard or something like mm. Uh, so we're in this crazy, fast-paced, shot-out-of-a-cannon type lifestyle, I believe, these days. And so books that help you focus and create a sense of wellness and mindfulness, I think, are equally important. Mm. I recommend reading Focus by Daniel Goleman. He's kind of the preeminent leader in, in, in of him, behavior, yeah. in, in, in human behavior. Um, Niriel's Hooked on habit-forming. Uh, and then I think it's called The Power of Habit by Cal Newport. Yeah, great book. Um, great book. I Yeah, I thought it was really cool. Fantastic. And I read it well. Yeah. Really, really good. And then for your own mental health, get a meditation app like Calm or Headspace. I don't have any investment in them. I'm, such, I'm not. A free, uh, this is a free <laughs> shout out. Yeah, it's a free shout out. Like Calm, I think, has been really instrumental for me in terms of routinizing 
meditation and stillness. And in, in, in I think we forgot that actually being quiet and guarding that quiet time and meditation time is equally important as me talking right now over a podcast yes. or writing or doing whatever, right? I think that's super, super important. Um, that's yeah. That's a good stack. That's a good stack of books. That's the biggest I've had so far. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I'm excited. I like reading a lot, and yeah. I'm sure uh, our audience likes doing that as well. well uh, Nathan, just on the on the question of routines, um, I I started to do meditation a little bit. I like yeah. that. I, I think it just helps in so many ways to focus and just to be present. Um, as weirdly as it could sound for people who haven't tried it, what is your morning routine like? What do you usually morning like routine is I'm up super early. I'm off to the gym. Um, I try to do a little bit of, like, I try to keep the phone off. Not always successful early in the morning. Yeah. Um, I uh, make sure it's quiet time. I eat, go to the gym, and then I try a bit of walking meditation. Maybe I'll listen to a book on Audible or I'll be on Spotify. Mm -hmm. And then I t typically look at my calendar as I get into the office, scan social media, do mm -hmm. a few posts or shout-outs, maybe finish off an article I've been writing the day before, right. uh, and then I get right into client work. Yeah. Yeah. So here's my last question. Where is everybody can find you online? Oh, my gosh. You probably can find me everywhere and every we, bathroom door we just, were, we just were talking about <laughs> you've you been on YouTube, 6,000 views, over 6,000 views. Which I don't think is that much, but <laughs> no, it's not. Well, but it's it's still it's but still a pretty great. yeah. Um, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, of course, uh, and uh, I'm on Twitter at Cowboy Tweets, and I'm on Medium, so I'm starting to write a lot more again. Awesome. Um, and who knows? I might do a podcast. I might, you know, I don't know, do some more video work. I love. To, I would love to explore audio as a yeah, channel. Yeah, it's huge. It's got. It's going to be bigger uh, for sure. It is a lot bigger. Like I just, I was, you know, I woke up to an Indeed ad on my smart my smart speaker the other day. <laughs> like how like crazy is that going to be? Right yeah. now we can reach people at their bedside yeah, via audio. Unreal. <laughs> Exactly. Like it's just insane, right? And so, what's the what's the brand reach on that? What's the click through? What's the appropriate right. ad creative? I mean, my mind's spinning as a marketer in terms right. of how are we going to yeah. use smart speakers as a channel? Oh, it's going to be massive. It like all the smart like, home, huge. smart home, smart yeah, like yeah. I mean, it's incredible. So, but, um, but we will yeah. link all the resources below so everybody can follow you. Okay. LinkedIn, Medium, Twitter, and uh, keep an eye on your future resources too. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. But it was a pleasure, Nathan. I think we had a great conversation. And if you guys enjoyed it, this is a six-star only podcast. Leave a review on iTunes. And I think I will do even a tutorial on how to leave a six-star review so we can just get, get that on track. Uh, or a one-star, depending if you like my voice or not. <laughs> Sergey is looking at me like I'm crazy. Yeah, exactly. No, no. Oh, oh, this is only six stars. I want to yeah. hear from you guys if you liked it. Um, and leave a comment on LinkedIn as well. Nathan, it was an absolute pleasure, and thank you for coming. Thank you.